Thank you for joining me for another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I am joined by Christian Selig. Hey, Christian, how's it going? Great, thanks. How are you doing? Good. I'm so glad you can come on. I'll let you introduce yourself before we get started. For sure. My name is Christian Selig. I'm an iOS developer by trade. I make Apollo for Reddit, which is an iPhone app for Reddit on the App Store. And that's um, what I do day to day as a developer. Yeah. (laughs) It's so awesome to have you on. We have a lot of developers on this show. And I don't think I've ever had a developer who builds an app that I use so frequently, I can look at my screen time scores just to find out. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So it's fantastic to have have you on. And I'm really excited to talk today about just kind of your story with building Apollo, but also like some of the challenges and difficulties you faced with building around and dedicating so much of the app to like a third-party API Has that been like a big challenge for you? And how have you got around any of the issues that, you know, developing around Reddit's API has kind of constructed for you? Yeah, for sure. No, it's definitely been a, it's been a fun journey. I think it helps a lot that I'm not the first person walking this path, for lack of a better term. Like Reddit's always been, um, I mean, for the longest time, they were even open source and they've had an API for ages and lots of people have built very ambitious projects before me. So it's very much a well-worn path. And there's even a subreddit dedicated to the Reddit API. So it, at least it helps that it doesn't feel like I'm feeling around in the dark and trying this for the first time. There's a lot of um, shoulders of giants in a way that I'm standing on top of to build this kind of thing. So if there's any difficulties ever, there's probably people who have ran into the same issue or are currently running into the same issue. So there's a sense of, um, at least I'm not the only one going through this. So that that helps a lot with building it. And I think Reddit as... A website and as a community has always been very um, technical in in a way. Um, so they've always been quite receptive toward developers and people building on their platforms, especially because for the longest time they didn't even have uh, an official app. So they almost relied on developers to have uh, a native experience on various platforms. So as far as partners go, uh, Reddit's really been great over the years. What do you think makes it so much different with Reddit as opposed to something like Twitter? Because I know like there's a lot there's been a lot of drama with the Twitter API and like third party developers building around Twitter. Why do you think it, Twitter is different from Reddit in that way? That's a good question. I guess it's different priorities, maybe. Um, I think Reddit puts a good emphasis on knowing that you're not going to appease everybody with one single app experience. I remember uh, a friend showed me this really funny video where it was um, kind of analogous to the situation where, I want to say in the 70s, they were making, um, trying to find like the best spaghetti sauce or something. So they asked all these people and did a really big A-B test and basically tried to see like, oh, which spaghetti sauce do you like the best? Is it the spicy one, the sweet one, the chunky one or whatever, expecting to try to narrow down on one perfect spaghetti sauce that they could just bottle up and sell on store shelves. And they found that there wasn't just one clean curve where everybody concentrated around this one point. There were like dips and valleys and people had lots of different ideas of what their perfect spaghetti sauce was. So they couldn't... So long story short, they ended up making a bunch of different sauces, um, which ended up being incredibly successful. And they found that just one size fits all doesn't really work for a lot of consumers. And I think Reddit um, is good at recognizing that and that their app is by far the biggest and most successful of any of the apps. So, so in terms of competition, there's not much, but I feel like for the outliers, for people who have um, specific desires in terms of an app, 
it, it fits really well that in for a lot of us, if they weren't using Apollo or Narwhal or any of these third party solutions, it's not as if for a lot of them, the solution would be, oh, I'll just use the Reddit app. A lot of them would just maybe not even use Reddit um, because they're not happy with the other experiences. So it kind of gives them an avenue to customize Reddit and use Reddit in a way that they really like. And I think Reddit uh, appreciates that to a certain extent. <laughs> and when it all comes down to it, I, I don't think um, Reddit's particularly threatened by any of us either because we're so small potatoes compared to the, the size of their app on the store. So I, I think it's 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 a combination of those two things. And I think, I guess Twitter's being a little short-sighted. And I think if anything, they've, I think their CEO said last year that that, that might have been a little bit of a misstep with their harshness around the Twitter API. So I think even they're realizing that giving people the options in terms of what they want to use with their apps is something that kind of benefits everybody in a way. Yeah, I totally agree. Because like with Twitter apps, there's like such a great variety out there as far as like things like Aviary and TweetBot and uh, TweetDeck and all those apps have been like fantastic different ways of going about the Twitter, you know, using Twitter on a daily basis. And then they just try to like tie them up in so many ways that it becomes more and more difficult to use any alternative third-party Twitter app. Hey folks, I wanted to let you know about a sponsor of our show, Revenue Cat. If you're doing anything with in-app purchases or subscriptions, you'll definitely want to check them out. Using Revenue Cat to power your in-app purchase infrastructure solves for edge cases that you don't even know you have. It also protects you from outages your team hasn't even seen yet, and it saves you time on future maintenance and features released by the app stores. Plus, it empowers your product and marketing teams with clean, reliable in-app purchase data so they can make better decisions to grow your app. All that is to say, Revenue Cat handles all the headaches of in-app purchases so you can get back to building your app. I highly recommend you check Revenue Cat out at revenuecat.com. Give it a try and see how it can empower your product and help it continue to grow. Thank you, Revenue Cat, for sponsoring our show. Yeah, and I think it helps too that Reddit, I guess, at its core is a more simple service than Twitter. And that like <laughs> Reddit, when it comes down to it, is a link aggregator with a bunch more fancy features built on top of it that make it great. But at, at its core, it's a link aggregator. So as long as the API allows you to uh, submit a link, view the link, and maybe view the comments, you're pretty much golden. All the other features are kind of just nice to have because most people go to Reddit because they just want to look at funny links, interesting content, and read the comments. Um, whereas Twitter, you get a lot more advanced. You have... Like there's a big dependence on polls, conversations, all these yeah, right. niche features. Um, where I think Reddit, like they can kind of, um, if they want to go all like in Twitter's avenue and nix all the APIs going forward, um, that would be unfortunate. But I feel like as long as you have those core features, people would be relatively happy with just having those. Are you familiar with the story about New Coke? I don't think so. No, what's that? So in the 80s, Coca-Cola tried to, well, what they did is their their sales were going down compared with Pepsi. And so they did like a taste test to see, okay, like what do people like more, Pepsi or Coke? And so they realized people were really liking Pepsi and they decided that instead of doing the Coca regular classic Coca-Cola formula, they did the new Coke formula, which was basically a cop of, copy of Pepsi. But what they had found is that like, while taste tests just aren't a good way to really evaluate that because people would rather drink a pack of Coke after, you know, over the long term as opposed to a pack of Pepsi. And so like their taste tests were good for like that initial 
you know, taste that people got, but like over the long term, they still preferred Coke. And so like, it just made their sales even worse. And so that's why they ended up going back and doing uh, Coca-Cola classic was because like they realized that was a mistake and it was just a blip as far as like the popularity of Pepsi. And it wasn't really worth overhauling the whole flavor of Coke. Anyway, it just reminded <laughs> funny, me of yeah. the spaghetti story yeah, yeah. and like how like, Spaghetti sauces, like, yeah, people prefer that variety. They Some people like Pepsi, some people like Coke, some people like sweet sauce, and some people like a more more salty sauce. Yeah, and I think it's, yeah, it would be naive to think that, you know, if we take away the sweet and spicy, everyone will just come eat the chunky and be happy with it. And the reality is some, a lot of people probably just wouldn't eat spaghetti anymore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think, and I think to a certain extent, Reddit realizes that, that if they kicked everyone off these third-party apps, a lot of them would just be like, I don't really like the alternative and I'm probably just going to not use Reddit anymore, um, which, you know, isn't good for anybody. So are there features that Reddit has that you don't have access to? Yeah, there's there's a few. They've um they've been very guarded with the Reddit chat API, which is like their it's kind of a weird product. It's like they already have private messages on Reddit and there's been an API for that forever because it's existed forever. But I think I want to say three years ago they introduced Reddit chat, which is kind of like a more modern, almost Discordy, um, more chat style IMing um style UI. And yeah, they've been very And it's funny you mentioned Discord because like a lot of subreddits have a Discord as well. Yeah, and I, and I think uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they saw that and that was a motivation for the product. Um, but yeah, they've been very walled off in terms of gaining access to that. And there's even been a few newer APIs where they're a little um, cautious with granting access to it. But they're normal. They're 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 half decent. It's it's not the greatest sign of things to come sometimes when you look at it. But but like I said, the the core features are so strong that I think that's a ninety nine percent of what people use. And if they're that focused, hyper focused on like the, all the new and shiny um, things Reddit's testing, then it's probably better to go to the official app, to be honest. Right, right. Like, So what has been some of the biggest challenges as far as like catching up or even like ignoring some of these new Reddit internal features? Um, there hasn't been too much. It's just, it's kind of tricky just when you get an email from a user and they're like, hey, I love Apollo. The only thing is like, I can't, I don't know, like write a chat, for instance. And you're like, yeah, I hear you. That's that's kind of a bummer. Like, there's not really much I can do about that. Like, maybe you should email the admins and let them know that they um, you'd appreciate them being more um, forthcoming with that kind of thing. But other than that, yeah, it's it's I'm very fortunate that most of the feature requests that come in have nothing to do with, you know, some shiny new thing Reddit's testing because Reddit tests a lot of stuff. Like they'll, they'll just build a feature and be like, do you guys like this? No? Okay, well, we won't go with that. Mm. And they do a lot of that. And I don't know why, but I guess since they're trying so many that not a lot of them stick and I don't see a lot of users really super interested in them. So for me, it's easy to focus on just making the core experience better and filling in the gaps that have been there for years, not necessarily chasing a brand new feature. Whereas if you were an app that was trying to, you know, one-to-one mimic the official app, then I think you'd be having a worse time. But I guess it's it's just kind of listening to users and knowing where your priorities lie. And thankfully, those two have aligned to a certain extent that I'm not... I haven't been burned in any way by um, Reddit being a little guarded with newer stuff. Yeah, just going back to the discussion on Twitter, like Twitter has these like new features that they really try to push like fleets or uh, I don't know, you know, polls, things like that, which that audience seems to be more gravitating towards. But like you said, with Reddit, a lot of the new stuff, like you're, you're talking about chat, like I'll go to a chat once and it's like when I rarely use Reddit on my computer, I should say, I'll go to chat and it's like, a, yeah. it's like tumbleweeds. Like there's just nobody there. Mm. And like the new features just don't really like grab people on Reddit 
And so, like, I feel like with something like Apollo, that's allowed you to, like, really focus on the design and and the UX of the app as opposed to, like, trying to, like, get these new features in Apollo using the APIs. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree. It's, it's um, Reddit is definitely, like, they're trying to add in all these new features to tackle different growth ideas, whereas I'm more focused on just um, having, like, a really good core experience, I guess. And there's obviously nothing wrong with what they're doing, but it's 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 slightly different goals, I suppose. And with Twitter, it's tricky too because, like, uh, with stuff like the new um, fleets and the new um, Twitter Spaces and stuff, to a certain extent, I can't imagine any of the Twitter third-party API clients are furious that, say, uh, Spaces comes out one week and there's not an API immediately available because, to a certain extent, they're refining Spaces quite a bit. It's it's in flux, so I don't think they're they'd be that furious. The same with Reddit. Like when Chat initially came out, and if there wasn't an API on day one, I wasn't, you know taking my pitchforks up because I realized they probably haven't finalized anything on their end. And if they did bring anything out to the public, it would probably break every two mm-hmm, days Right, where it gets a little annoying is when it's like two years later and you can kind of see like the API requests that the chat API is making behind the scenes with like, you know, Safari web inspector or whatever. And you're like, this really hasn't changed in like two years. Now do you think you could <laughs> maybe look at it? Like there's not really any flux anymore. So has chat been around for two years. I think it's almost been three years now. Oh my God. And, and it's a, yeah, it's a little tricky too because they um behind the scenes versus their normal APIs, they're not 100% running all of that. They use a third-party service called Sendbird, um which acts as more or less the back end of Reddit chat. Mm. Um and they're like Sendbird is like a company that um their bread and butter is making these kind of web sockets, IMing solutions. Right, right. Um, so I assume Reddit Reddit figured rather than building up that massive complicated infrastructure from the ground up, why don't we just partner with somebody who does it really well? And I assume there's a certain amount of difficulty there with making sure a third party uh, app doesn't come in and just obliterate Sendbird or something with coding the API access poorly and just hammering them with requests or something, um, w- which is understandable. And I guess to a certain extent, you could make almost like a um, an accepted partners <laughs> where um, where I've been and other apps have been around for so long and they've been good partners that they can say, hey, maybe with our guidance we could help you integrate this API um, in a way that's that's suitable. So yeah, it's tricky. I think there's definitely ways to attack this better than they have been, but at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world. So you just mentioned the server-side component that Reddit has. Does Apollo also have a server-side component? Yes, yeah, it does. um, It's not, there's... Various components, some more essential than others. Probably when people think of Apollo server component, the biggest aspect, I guess, in terms of computational power right now is the notification server because Reddit, the API doesn't really have any way to be notified when the user gets a notification. It's it's very um, brute force in a way in that you have to be like, okay, does the user have a new message now? And then like a minute later, check, oh, do they have a new message now? And then check a minute. Like it's very polling rather than mm, um, okay. polling. As you probably know, push notifications on iOS, you don't do any of that on the device. You need a server to push them from. Right. Um, so that server, if you activate notifications in Apollo, you, there's a server component that um, you basically register your OAuth token with. And it does a contacting of Reddit. And then only ever does it wake your device up when you actually have a notification to be aware of. And that, that's probably the most intensive part of the server. But other than that, there's little parts like the Imager API. <laughs> Imager has an API. If your app can make money, you, you can't just use the free API to access like picture information. And their API gets super expensive super quickly. Um, so Apollo kind of has like a caching layer um, where if you, um, the first time 
you request information on an image, it'll hit the imager API, but then it'll cache that. So the second time it doesn't hit it, which cuts API requests down like literally a thousandth fold. Yeah, um, I bet that's important. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, my bill would probably be like $25,000 a month on Imager right now if it was everything was going purely to them, which yeah, it would just bankrupt. <laughs> What's that server side component built in? Uh, right now it's all Go. Um, so it's just on a uh, DigitalOcean VPS and it's just running Ubuntu, whatever the flavor of the month is. Um, and it, yeah, it's just a Go, a Go program that runs and makes the requests and kicks them off. And So it seems like the, it's a common thing to have some sort of server-side component for push notifications. Is it common to have to constantly do polling with a third-party API in order to know if there's like a new message or a new notification they need to be aware of? That's a good question. It wouldn't surprise me if it was, if it was relatively common. I know like a lot of Apple APIs have almost the reverse direction where you can kind of keep a connection open with Apple from your server and they'll send you a notification um, whenever an event you're interested in occurs, uh, which is a much better way to do it. But it's from the API provider perspective, I assume it's a lot easier just to have kind of a polling style. But yeah, it's definitely a little more convenient and a little more computationally expensive for pretty much everyone involved. So let's talk a little bit more about like third-party libraries. How do you judge whether a third-party library like should still be in use? Because I know you've talked about, uh, I believe, like textures and a few other older Objective-C libraries that you use. How do you decide, okay, this library should be used or should still be used in Apollo? That That's a good question. I, I would say it almost comes back to how I was saying Reddit was like, uh, we don't want to build um, a massive IMing infrastructure when SendBird just already does it great. If I'm like, I guess the, the private messaging component in Apollo is a good example. I could completely write a brand new um, chat UI, which like has all the bubbles and in the instant messaging look. Or you could kind of look at like a library on GitHub that you know has been battle tested, um, has pretty much all the features you want, is used in production by a ton of apps, and hasn't really had any issues. And, and you kind of, for me at least, I weigh, I weigh it and say I could take a month building <laughs> this myself in probably a way that would have bugs that they've probably already ran into and fixed for a difference that would be transparent to the user. They really wouldn't tell who's using it. Or I could save a ton of time and use this thing that's probably going to work better than what I could come up with. And for me, it, that's a lot of it. If, if it's big enough that I'm likely to get something wrong and there's a solution out there that is battle tested that's for me is a really good indicator that i should probably look into um putting my um vanity aside in terms of programming it and say someone probably did this better than i did and let's um lean on them and texture was another great example it's it's a little it's a little less straightforward where it's it's a much bigger component and if i was to use it today i, I might reevaluate it just because the goals of that I had when I introduced that at the time were having smooth scrolling across pretty much every device. But I mean, iPhones have been fast forever, but like even across like the latest generations for devices that support iOS 13 and higher, they're just blazing fast. And in terms of anything, I feel like anything I needed back then that was slow, a modern device would just blow away now. So that, that requirement probably isn't there as much, but it's one of those things where it's still a really great library and moving away from it is a lot more painful than a few bumps and scrapes that you get still using it to this day. Yeah. That's a, it's a really good point. I like, I like the idea about like battle tested, like you said, does it have a lot of likes? Does it have a lot of stars? Is it used by a lot of folks? Exactly. And like, I'm reminded of an analogy. I think it was Amy Hoy in her book, just ship it. I believe she talks about like making a Thanksgiving dinner. You don't like, 
you don't have a turkey farm. You don't like go grow the potatoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't like you go out, you get a turkey, you get, you know, oh, there's a built-in gravy mix. You might use that or built-in stuffing mix and use that. And it's like if you can use pre-existing components, sometimes it makes sense. And I think especially with like an indie app, it totally makes sense. And then if you get to a point where it's like, like you're saying with like texture, for instance, it's like, I don't really need this and I could probably code something better. And I'm getting a lot of like bugs with it. Like, okay, now I can build it myself. But when you first start right, off exactly. and you're experimenting, kind of like what Reddit's doing with chat, like you can, you know, you can just use a third party library in that case. Yeah, no, it's it's probably, I mean, the appeal of having something that takes less time and is probably less buggy than what you could come up with is like very, very nice to have. Obviously, the only downside is you um, are somewhat at the mercy of someone else's code. I mean, you can obviously fork it and fix it yourself, but right, you're, right. you're less int- intimately aware. But I, I still would almost argue it's probably faster to come up to speed on someone else's code than it would be to recreate the entire library from scratch yourself. I feel like I could probably spend an afternoon reading some of these libraries and get a, a healthy gist of everything they're doing. Yeah, um, totally. Whereas, gosh, recreating it, yeah, that would be much more than an afternoon or two. So how do you decide whether you're going to prioritize certain bugs in your app as opposed to adding new features in Apollo? It's, I feel like it's very easy as an indie developer where everything comes down to the the squeaky wheel gets the grease in terms of if a bug is occurring for a lot of people, I'll probably know about it. And if it's affecting people's enjoyment of the app, that's something I'll prioritize. It just comes down to how do I make as many users as happy as possible? Sometimes that's adding a new feature that they desperately want that maybe came out on a new version of iOS. And at other times that's a bug crept up out of nowhere and is annoying a lot of people and fixing that would cause a lot more happiness um, in the aggregate than adding a, a new feature would. So it's, it's kind of trying to keep your finger on the pulse of the community and the emails you get and the state of the app and trying to optimize whatever action you'll take will cause the most uh, enjoyment from your users. Yeah, that makes total sense. How do you find like really good beta testers when it comes to Apollo? That that's a really good question. It's that's very tricky, and I think most apps from what I, from people in the community I've talked to struggle with that. And I'm I'm not particularly great at it. It's um, I'd say probably the majority of people interested in beta testing just want the newest shiny thing quicker, or they want um, because in test flight builds you can't charge for things. They want things for free, and that that's kind of a bummer because you 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 get a lot of people who are just kind of there leeching for lack of a better term rather than actually contributing. And so the the easy solution there, I suppose, is just cast a wide net, uh, accept a ton of beta testers and hope if even 5% of them are good beta testers, you'll get quite a few in there. Um, but the downside is obviously you're going to have a, a ton of people who aren't getting the app for free or just kind of not contributing in any meaningful way when they could be on the main app. And that's just kind of something I guess you got to take with the, with the territory. It helps too to... Um, I mean, you could definitely do something like in terms of um, measure the amount of emails particular or feedback people are, are bringing in and um, try to enforce a minimum requirement of that. But that's a little more involved than I personally care to be. Um, so it, it's definitely a, a volume solution for me. But it's just, I guess, for everything, it's just try to find people who are passionate about your product and get them into the beta program because you're not going to get very good luck if you're like, hey, I know you don't care about my app at all, but could you use it and give me feedback? Like, of course they're not. <laughs> but if you got somebody who uses it, you know, a few hours a day, 
they're probably going to want to tell you stuff that annoys them because they're using it so much. And those little pain points add up really quickly. Do you remove people from the beta list? I haven't in a little while, but I used to because Apple had the the caps, like you could only have a few right, thousand right. people. And I'd want to add new people and I'd look and see like uh, very easily on App Store Connect, you can see um, the last beta they installed. Um, so if you're like, they haven't even installed betas in the last six months, like they're, they're clearly not even using the beta program. So they're, they're very easy to boot. But in terms of anything smarter, like feedback amounts, it, it's that's, I don't really do anything there. And, and the cap right now, I think is at like 10,000, if not more. So it's not something I've really cared to do in a while. Yeah, that's pretty much what I've done. Every version, major version or so of something, I've like removed basically people who haven't been installing the beta updates and listening to test flight. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Yeah, it makes it pretty easy. Hey folks, I wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by App Figures. Did you know that better ratings have a direct impact on improving your app's visibility and on driving downloads? Stronger ratings signal that an app has happy users. While there are other factors, app stores tend to float these results higher in search results. As more users find your app, they are also far more likely to download it when they see social proof. Learn when to ask for ratings, as well as other tips and best practices by signing up for AppFigures weekly newsletter at appfigures.com newsletter. If you like what you see, head to appfigures.com to try AppFigures for free. Listeners of the show can get 30% off for the next three months. That's for both new and existing users using the code EMPOWER3030. Again, if you like what you see, both new and existing users can use our special code EMPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. If you're an app developer and you want to reach that audience, you'll definitely want to check AppFigures out. Thank you, AppFigures, for sponsoring this show. So one thing I've heard you focus on is accessibility with your beta tester. How have you focused on that? And what what has been some of the ways that you've tried to make Apollo more accessible to new users? And I mean, accessible in the accessibility sense of the word. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's that's just another area where I find it's really valuable to listen to users. It's... It's one thing to you know read some documentation and watch some videos and try to understand how uh, people with accessibility concerns might be using your app. But it's another whole thing to um, actually have somebody in that situation give you feedback. And I find that's, that, that's just a million times more valuable to have somebody who might use their phone in a different way than you do say, um, hey, it's kind of lacking in this area, or hey, I have a really great idea for how this could be improved. And that's just much more valuable than guessing work um, from somebody who, myself, who might not... Um, necessarily use some of those accessibility features to the fullest. So yeah, it, it basically comes back down to listening to your users like always and seeing um, what they care about, maybe where you fall short and asking them, where do you think I could improve that area and how could I improve this area or what's lacking and just trying to implement those and keeping them in the back of your mind. Because to be honest, iOS makes accessibility very easy. Um, and if you're considering it as you're building features, it's not that bad to integrate. A lot of people think of it as, oh, it's the separate thing I got to try to tack on at the end and it's going to take another like month of sprints to do all these features and who, how many people are going to use it. And the reality is, you know, in an, in an ethical way, everybody deserves to be able to use your product. And it's not that much extra work to uh, put in some extra labels, uh, make sure things size correctly, um, go up and down. 
and just listen to the people who uh, would benefit from those. And, and, and it's, it's, it's really awesome to get an email from somebody who's really enjoying those features you added. So it's just, it's a, it's a great thing to do for everybody just to listen. So one of the things I really like about Apollo is how well it's designed. How do you design some of these like particular UI components? It's a lot of indecision and deliberation, I think. I have like literally probably a stack of like eight notebooks I've made over the years. And they're pretty thick notebooks of just, I, I sketch out a lot awesome. of things. I, I pace around, I'm trying to figure out maybe this is how I want to do it. Because that's when I interned at Apple, that was the thing they really liked to push people to do is they, they were always like, when you open up Sketch or uh, Figma or what have you, or Photoshop, to try to design a UI, it's it's much it feels much more real and it requires more work to do. So you almost become more attached to it and less likely to throw it out, even if it's bad. Uh, whereas with just trying to brainstorm ideas or just jotting down little things or sketching out little things, um, you, you, you're much less attached to it and you can throw it out a lot easier. So for me, sometimes like the most basic feature will take like a full day of me just sketching out things, looking at it, maybe waking up the next day and being like, nope, I just convinced myself that that was good. That's actually pretty terrible. And then I can finally get to a, a, a point in my head where conceptually it's good i have a basic design done on paper and then i'll take it into uh, figma or sketch or what have you um and draw it all out and then i'll export those assets and then build that in code but it's very much a process of going back and forth trying to figure out what i like maybe looking at um, what apple does or what other popular apps do so i can make sure it's consistent with what users would expect out of that feature but yeah it is typically it's never a straight arrow right to the feature it's always a lot of pacing around and trying to <laughs> figure out what works and what doesn't that's so interesting like one of my uh, i've been trying to design mac apps lately and like one of my struggles is trying to design it in such a way that it follows patterns and practices mm. and i i'd almost feel intimidated by a notebook because then i have so much freedom that i have no clue what the actual pattern and practice is that i should be following that's fair. and then when i actually develop it it's like hard for me to like customize like i don't want to spend too much time customizing it but like one of the things with apollo is like a lot of that stuff is very customized in such a way right no for sure no i know what you mean i think it helps that like i do do a lot of mental conceptualizing i pace around my apartment i lie down a lot just trying to stare at the ceiling and figure out what at, at a very vague conceptual level i want the feature to look like and and a lot of the most of the time in fact that's um picturing like what it would be like to be a good ios app citizen or a good mac app so it's not completely off in the weeds um in terms of just designing the super out there feature or what might be nice because i i really do believe it was i think i i heard it in like a facebook design conference ages ago where they're saying um, when they're designing a feature, their first priority is to make it consistent with what users would expect. So something from the platform um, that they're already used to. And if they're going to design something custom, it has to like be, you know, uh, leagues better than the the consistent experience, because if it's only slightly better, it's only slightly better and people are going to be confused using it for only that slight benefit. So for me, most the vast majority of the time, it's what what would this look like in a consistent way? So I think that really narrows it down to when I get down to the sketching aspect, it, it's hopefully something that's um, within the realm of what would be expected to look like for a Mac app, for instance. It's it's not super out there. I'm, I'm trying at the conceptualizing phase. I'm trying to um, trying to rein it in a little bit in terms of what it should look like. And you probably have done it so many times you're like pretty much used to, oh, okay, I know exactly what the iOS component would look like because I've done this several times. And and so that probably helps as well. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, the, yeah. There's a certain amount of experience there where you kind of get a feel for what I- iOS looks like and what people would expect. And even just putting yourself in the shoes of if I was to pick this up for the first time, or I just downloaded this app for the first time and had to do task A, would this component I'm building feel intuitive? Like, or is this a really weird interaction that wouldn't feel intuitive at all? And I think trying to, I mean, obviously you'll get it wrong sometimes when because you're just trying to talk to yourself in that sense. But um, a lot of the time, just just trying to think it through can uh, reveal a lot of things that you might not otherwise really pick up on if you're just designing something that you think looks cool. Speaking of design, one of the newest features you've designed um, and developed is the new widgets in iOS 14, which you have to do in SwiftUI. What's your overall thoughts on SwiftUI now that you've actually integrated a SwiftUI feature into Apollo? It's that's a really good question. It, it's kind of split. I, I'd say overall, it's very positive. I really like Swift UI. It was so much fun to build in. Don't get me wrong; I really enjoy building in UI Kit land as well. But Swift UI, just the 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 lack of friction between going from an idea or a design to actually seeing it pop up on a device was like unreal. Like it's so much faster than UI Kit mm-hmm. aspect, right? And I really really liked that. Um, it was it was fun for the lack of a better term but the the only issue i have is there's a, it feels like when you hit a wall in swift ui it's a hard wall like it's made of titanium like you um like little stuff like um i don't think you can manually call like um become first responder on a text field and make it pop up um in swift ui yet like that just hasn't been um an API they've managed to integrate yet. And little stuff like that where it, it feels like getting to that 90% point with Swift UI where everything's like 90% perfect um, is really fun, really great, and really quick. Um, however, that last 10%, as soon as you run into a snag, it's I feel like, yeah, you're out, out in the weeds trying to... Uh, hack together something and bugging people on Twitter to see how they, you know, hack together with geometry reader or something. And that's very... <laughs> um, demotivating for lack of a better term like you're hit with this super super fun aspect and then the end is this super super unfun aspect and i guess you lose you lose momentum yeah exactly yeah it's it's super jarring when you're going from like having so much fun to being like oh god like i have to try to get a whiteboard out and do this math in terms of and like it's it's less fun there and, and i'm really looking forward to them minimizing um how much that latter portion of the process is um which i'm sure they will over time like developing a ui framework I think people are um, very harsh in criticism where it's like, this, this, this is hard. And I think they've done a really good job in, in two years, um, considering how old UIKit is. And I'm re- it's not something I don't think Swift UI is. I wouldn't personally build uh, an entire app in it right now, though there certainly has been people who have and all the power to them. But I think in a year or two, I'd be really excited to take a swing at that. And it also depends on how much your experience you have, like in either space. Like obviously you've been in UI kit since forever. Yeah, exactly. Where somebody who's newer, like they don't know what they're missing out on. Um, and I, like as an Apple watch developer, you definitely feel that way. Whereas like, you don't feel like you're missing anything from watch kit by going to Swift UI. That's true because you can't manually focus a text field at all on watch OS. You try to do that on iPhones though, man, that that's tricky. Yeah. Right. What other things or language features are you looking at, like looking forward to implementing in future versions of Apollo that you hope like Apple gets out soon? In terms of Swift or in terms of just iOS? Both. For Swift, I'd say just a lot of the, I guess it would be considered Swift, like a lot of the combined um, aspects. And I, and I see they're talking about all like the new async await um, networking features. Those look really exciting because yeah. I don't think those have been a focus of Swift up until this point. So I'm really looking forward to looking forward to getting to play around with those. 
In terms of iOS, that, that's tricky. I have so many items on my own to-do list that I'm not exactly chomping at the bit for Apple to um, add a bunch more things to my to-do list. So don't get me wrong. I'm excited whenever they add something new because it's fun and you just get to experience it. And it's there's a whole um, almost parade around it, which I really enjoy. But um, I, I, I kind of like with iOS features to um, just sit back and not really have any expectations and just be surprised and excited when new things come out. I, I will say the only right. thing I wish they did do was better. Um, the one area where I think I'll, I look at Android a little jealously is um, they uh, have a lot better support um, for opening, uh, for setting default apps, I suppose. You can like customize it to do whatever the heck you want. Like you can, um, maybe they go a little too far, but uh, you could open, you know, probably a calculator as your Netflix app, for instance. Like it's, there's no, you get a lot of flexibility that you don't on iOS and where they open it up to mail um, and what was the other one? Mail and browsers, I guess, in iOS 14. Yes. Yes. You're right. Yeah. I'm hoping they'll maybe expand those boundaries a little bit more um, where as a, as a Reddit app, it would be really nice for like a very, very common request I get is emails being like, Hey, how do I, when I have a Reddit link, how do I open it in Apollo? And I have to do a lot of hacks around like requesting if the user wants Apollo to look at their clipboard to see if they have a Reddit URL saved and then it can open that or um, have it in the share sheet. But a lot of these aren't very intuitive and I really wish Apple would at an iOS level improve that. So, so I'd get a lot less emails. So what does the minimum version you support right now in Apollo? I believe it's iOS 12, but iOS 12 has so few. Yeah, it's iOS 12, but they I'm under like 1% iOS 12 usage in Apollo right now. So I think um, when I do, um, like I have an iPad update planned, which does a bunch of things. There's so many changes in iOS 13 and iOS 12 has so few users right now that, that it's definitely going to get the axe at that point. Have you tried using something like Combine in UIKit? I haven't. No, I've I've read some tutorials just to kind of like get my feet wet with it, I suppose, and just kind of get the gist of it and uh, what it can do. But I haven't used it in anything production wise yet, just because I'm stuck in iOS 12 land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Combine, even more so than SwiftUI, honestly. Oh, that's high praise. Okay, I'm excited. then. Because <laughs> I feel like you can, like, there is no 90%. You pretty much could do anything you want with Combine. Whereas, like, yeah, you said uh, with SwiftUI, you hit that wall and it just really slows down momentum. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, that's exciting then. I, I like a lack of wall. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so before we close out, I wanted to ask, what have you learned in the past few years since starting Apollo when it comes to just building an app from the ground up, especially when it comes to design and development? That's, I would say, hmm, that's a good question. What's been your biggest lesson, I guess? I feel like listening to users, it sounds like such an obvious one, but it's just, it, it it's like the one thing you can do that pays so many dividends in terms of so many aspects of your product. So like there's a bunch of features, even Apollo 1.0 that I thought like I had just looked at so long and I built so long that I became really attached to. And there were a few times where users were like, dude, this kind of sucks. Um, like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> like the rest of the app is great and I love it. But this one, like maybe the way you display links is just not really up to snuff with the rest of the cool stuff you have. And I'm like, you kind of look at it and you're like, dang, they're kind of right. I would have shipped that. And it's, so you get, you get that great feedback that you necessarily wouldn't have seen. Um, and I think that just makes the product a ton better. And then on the other side of it, you get users who are like, holy crap, like this guy isn't just using me as like a, a an ATM. Like they care, he cares what I think. He wants the app to be better. I really respect that. Um, so they'll maybe support the app. They'll maybe, um, the next time their friends using their phone, they, they say, hey, like you should really check out this app. And that kind of word of mouth has just been crazy invaluable for me in terms of um, Apollo's growth and people being satisfied. So 
you get kind of this one-two punch of getting a better product and then users talking about the product because they appreciate that you're improving it and listening to them. And, and that's just been so invaluable to me in terms of building like literally every step of the process um, uh, in terms of building and just making the product better. So just um, as basic as it seems, listening to your users um, is just crazy, crazy um, productive in terms of pretty much every aspect of your product. And how do you get those users if you don't have any when you first launch your app? Yeah, that's that's the million dollar question, isn't it, I guess? Um, I, I, th- <laughs> I think that, see, I almost cheated. Like I just, I'm building a Reddit app, so I posted it on Reddit. Like you're basically almost shooting fish in a barrel at that point because of course, right, right. Of course they're hopefully going to be interested in your product. But for, for other apps, it's definitely more tricky. Um, I, I would say for me, my the way I would tackle it would be try to find um, areas of the internet that would be are passionate about an app in the space you're you're building. So um, if you were, say, building um, an app to help track your tennis abilities, I don't play tennis, but how good you are at tennis, I don't know. I'd say go find a tennis forum or there's probably r slash tennis. Yeah, that's that's a really good point is like, I think, like, don't expect, don't cast such a wide net, like find the audience where it is rather than trying to be yeah, like, oh, hey, everybody on Twitter, here's a tennis app. It's like, no, go to the little PHP tennis forum that you can find. Right. Right. And and like, that's where you're going to find folks. Yeah, I totally agree. And people who then see it on that tiny PHP forum and then talk about it, that's going to be so much more that carries so much more weight in terms of suggestion um, to other users rather than, you know, the developer walking up and being like, Hey, use my app. And people are like, okay, you're clearly just trying to make a dime. Mm -hmm, Right. And some people will listen, but, but don't get me wrong, but it's so much more valuable. when somebody on that small forum is like, Hey, people respect my opinion here. I've, use this app and it actually makes me a better tennis player. Like you should check it out. And people are like, Oh dang, like I, I, Phil said that I trust Phil. And that just, that's so much more valuable than, you know, running a bunch of ads and spending a million dollars. Thank you, Phil. Thank you to all the Phil's out there. <laughs> no, no. Like they're, they're literally the backbone. I think of indie apps. Like we don't, we don't have the millions of dollars that like, right. And they build the community. Like you said. Yeah, exactly. No, they're, they're just, you know, shout out to Phil. <laughs> Just one more, one more question. What are some good resources out there for helping developers build a more natural feeling app? Like where can they find really good tips and tricks for building that app that really feels natural, so to speak? Ah, that, that's a really good question because it's, it's so abstract. For me, um, I think I would, because I feel like eventually you kind of develop a palette for that naturally, but it, it can be a little bit tricky to um, develop that at first. And I, and I would say almost just keep a notebook for like a month and just look at the apps you use day to day and maybe download more apps than you do normally just to have that breadth of experience and just kind of note down like, oh, I really like this interaction. Yeah, like competitive research. Like- yeah, yeah. Or not even competitive sometimes. Like even if you're, yeah, even if you're making like that tennis app, like maybe you have an RSS reader you really like um, and you're bouncing around in that and you're like, oh, that interaction or that menu or that the way of doing that common action is really slick. And I really like that. And that feel that yeah. was intuitive to me. You write that down in your notebook. And then maybe the next time you're um, thinking, oh, I need to add an, a new way to log a tennis routine in my app. Oh, I remember that RSS reader had that really cool way of doing an action that just felt supernatural. And, and I feel like that almost writing down and really acknowledging it rather than just passing it by helps you kind of develop that muscle memory in terms of, um, ooh, like I can pick out a good interaction and I can um, remember that and recall that when I need a similar interaction. It's it's just it's all a, it's all noticing patterns and trying to figure out. Because for me, I just kind of keep like a list of like really slick apps I like. And sometimes I'll just be like, I'll consult them in terms of um, how they might do a, do a common action. 
And that helps me a lot with with um, just having a starting point to build off of. Well, thank you so much, Kristen, for coming on the show. Where can people find you online? I'm pretty much Christian Selig everywhere. So um, Twitter, YouTube, I guess I'm not too many places. And then on Reddit, um, I'm just I am that is. And I have a, the r slash Apollo app subreddit. So it shouldn't be too hard to find me. Cool. And we'll have links in the show notes to all that. Folks can find me on Twitter at LeoGDion. My company is Bright Digit. Of course, I'm on Reddit at ULeoGDion. So not super creative with the name. Sorry about that. (laughs) That's all good. (laughs) And I would appreciate if you could take a few moments to post a review to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, wherever you're listening to, or uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel where this is posted. And thank you so much for joining us and look forward to talking to you again. Perfect. Thank you so much.